And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, with the athletic, he's got stones, but not of the kidney variety. He may be locked out of Twitter, but he stays locked in. Cody Stavenhagen, how you doing, man? Oh, it's been a long week, but happy to be on here venting on the podcast. So... People listening now can confirm that you are alive because you went zero dark 30 on Twitter late in the week. Uh, I'll just give you the floor. Got to let the people know, the loyal readers of The Athletic, the loyal followers on Twitter, the subscribers we have, what happened on the worst possible day for a technology glitch to get you? Well, I don't know what happened. I wish I had a better idea of what happened. I know at some point Thursday, I'm pulling up Twitter on my phone, and uh, I'm just not logged in. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. I'll try to log in. And um, I was unable to log in, and I was like, okay, I'll reset my password. And I had to enter my email, and then it basically Twitter told me that uh, there was no Twitter account linked to my email. And I thought, okay, it seems as though my Twitter account has been compromised the day before the trade deadline. Not exactly ideal, but I was like, okay, surely I can get this resolved. I, I sent off an email to, you know, Twitter support team. Well, Twitter support team, not getting a very high Yelp review from me because you can't speak with a human being. You can only talk with robots. There is no phone number to call. You can only communicate via email and if it appears that someone tried to hack my Twitter and then changed the email and phone number I linked to my account basically rendering me powerless and because you cannot talk to an actual human there's not a lot you can really do about it so as the day goes into Friday I start to accept that I am not going to have Twitter access on the day of the trade deadline that is how I will f- will forever remember the 2021 trade deadline, the day I basically could not do my job because I couldn't really report anything out to the people. It's also been very illuminating at how dependent we are um, just as media on Twitter now that I felt naked and like powerless without Twitter. And you could say, like I used to kind of think, well, wouldn't it be nice if you could just really focus on writing your stories? And so that's kind of what I tried to do. I mean, I still confirmed the Norris deal and put it on the Athletics real-time feed, which probably like five people saw. Um, but, you know, I was still trying to stay in tune, but mostly just tried to focus on writing my stories. Well, then you can't share your stories, and the stories do, in fact, have noticeably lower readership than normal because I could not tweet them out to the people. Um So this is all very concerning. This was not fun. It was very stressful. At one point, I did send a follow-up email, got a little angry, told Twitter I would send them a picture of my effing state-issued ID if they needed it. That uh, did not help. I later in the day received another like automated response that was just like, we have determined that the email you were contacting us from is not the email associated with your Twitter account. Therefore, we cannot be of assistance. It's like... It's kind of crazy. I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. It's not that hard to just lose access to Twitter. I still, saying this on Saturday, remain a little worried that I might not get my Twitter account back and might have to start over 
with zero followers, which in 2021 is like probably the end of my professional career, as silly as that sounds, as much as I don't even like Twitter. Um, luckily, the pluses of working for a Silicon Valley-based company, uh, there are some people at The Athletic who have some connects with Twitter, maybe trying to talk with like some actual human beings there. So I'm hopeful that that will lead to some sort of resolution. But anyway, I don't expect to be tweeting, you know, anytime uh, this weekend or probably even into early next week. Might have to just start a new account or maybe I should just quit my job and go like try to start an ice cream stand or something. So this is this is not going well. And of course, like the trade deadline of all days, the trade like this couldn't happen. May, you know, 14th, the trade deadline. Like, what are the odds of that? So, obviously not a very good day. And you were able to maintain some even temperament as, you know, 4 o'clock Eastern, you know, gets closer and closer. And, uh, and you, you know, we don't know if the Tigers are going to do, you know, a major deal. If there's a scope trade that kind of slides in there or whatever. And obviously that didn't end up happening. Uh, you were able to maintain your poise as you were disconnected from the world, from your main source of the world, or, or were you Cody Stavenhagen worked up? Um, it was obviously frustrating, I think, especially after uh, sending somewhat of a rage email to Twitter. I kind of kind of cooled down and just accepted that there was nothing I could do. It was also harder to keep up with what was going on. I was searching... Twitter not logged in or using the turn the corner account just searching like Ken Rosenthal John Morosi typing in like Jonathan Scope and just seeing if anyone had tweeted about him much harder to follow the action around the rest of the league and even with the Tigers in a way it was freeing because it was like there's just nothing there's nothing I can do you know I was still on top of the Norris trade even though no one knew that I was on top of it because I couldn't really share the information but you know I was hey I was on that I'll never get any credit for it but there's I was still on it. there's still digital um, record of it there's still digital record yeah, of it, just not on Twitter. Uh, and it, it and it came out a little late because I I don't know it, it wasn't fun I feel as though I mostly uh, just tried to accept it and it's, it's a strange feeling. I feel like I can't do my job. Hopefully, I'll, I'll get it back. Like I said, also crazy that Twitter is actually that big of a part of our lives and journalism and baseball reporting in 2021. It is really the end-all, be-all. Also, a reminder, we give away a lot of free content and information on Twitter. People complain about you know getting hit by a paywall at The Athletic, and, and I get that. We give away so much for free on this like third-party website. Uh, it's crazy. It's actually pretty insane. I feel as though I was pretty even keel, but as at the time I was dealing with this, I was also dealing with the uh, other complications that sometimes arise when you are a beat writer. You know, on Wednesday I wrote an article recapping the Tigers' trade deadline history in the Alavila era. It's actually the third consecutive year I've done a similar article. It's I think a relevant thing to do around the time of the trade deadline to see how this team has handled things in the past. We all know the trade record has not elicited a lot in return in the Tigers rebuild. I wanted to revisit why, calculate the amount of wins above replacement they've given away, the amount they've returned and received in return so far. Obviously that number was going to be lower given that they acquired prospects, but 
it's still just not very high. Really, Jamer Candelario has been your only productive piece in the majors so far. I included a line um, in the intro that said this subject always elicits emotional reactions from the fan base. And in the front office, it, it elicits emotional uh, reactions um, from you know the people who try to contextualize and defend these trades a little more. Sure enough, people in the Tigers front office were not happy with this article. Uh, they had some minor quabbles. I did one thing I, I that probably was a mistake. I had included Mike Fires' war after he had signed extensions with the Oakland A's. That wasn't actually like war the A's gained from that trade. They gained it from extending Fires. So I did correct that and, and lower his war total a little bit, which actually upped Shane Green's war total because he's been worth negative five for the Braves this year after negative 0.5 after signing an extension. But anyway, you know, that happened and then had to sit down with some other folks and we kind of, you know, I think the Tigers made some fair points. A lot of it was centered around the Justin Upton trade and they don't actually know if he would have opted out. I kind of thought that's why the Tigers uh, felt pressured to deal him because they thought they were going to lose him for nothing. At the same time, they weren't necessarily mandated to cut salary. But I think when you get in that discussion, it's like, well, you were clearly trying to lower the payroll, and that, that is the smart thing to do when you're rebuilding. But anyway, there, there were a lot of quabbles, heard from some people, uh, had to kind of have the little sit-down talk. And, and credit to the Tigers PR staff and the Tigers um, front office representatives. It was very professional, I, I would argue, a probably ultimately a productive conversation Sometimes covering a beat really mirrors life in that there are going to be people who like you, there are going to be people who don't like you, there are going to be people who like you, but then you do something they don't like and you have to figure out how to resolve that conflict. You have to have some adult, mature discussions. I think everything was handled very well on both sides. Honestly, that's a credit to the organization because there are some uh, sports teams out there that, that don't handle things as professionally. Um, but that also led to kind of, you know, I, I uh, talked with Al Avila a little bit um, after the trade deadline on Friday to make sure the air was good. And that's also a delicate balance as a beat writer because sometimes you have to be critical. Sometimes you have to hold an organization accountable. At the same time, there is benefit to being liked, to having good relationships with the people in the organization. Um, I'm certainly not the first beat writer to run into something such as this. If you're not uh, occasionally encountering little conflicts, I would still argue that's probably a sign you're not always doing the job as good as you possibly could be or as covering the organization as well-rounded as you could be. But anyway, as all the midst of not being able to access Twitter is going on, I'm also... Uh, dealing with, you know, some interpersonal conflicts regarding the Tigers' uh, trade history, which, again, we all know what it is. We all know that people on all sides um, react emotionally when you talk about the trades that the Tigers made throughout the course of this rebuild. So, yeah, it's, it, like you said, Cody, it, it's a delicate balance between this and that and and trying to assess situations when you're just at a disadvantage. You might not always have the, all the information. That's just kind of how it goes. The best people in sports— and in politics, anything that deals with media, entertainment, blah, 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 is they realize that, like, you have a job to do, and they will they respect professionalism. So if you had a good experience with this in the end, everybody was professional. It's credit to you. It's a credit to the organization. And it's also one of those things, 
not really that big of a deal, honestly. Like, it, yeah, one of those things that you get you get a little emotional about in the moment, and then you move on, just like life, and then you move on. Sometimes the best way to resolve conflict is to sit down and just talk about it a little bit, and then everyone walks away feeling better, and then perhaps your relationship is improved and, and more open in the end. And I, I, I hope that's going to be the case here. I think all sides handled it pretty well. I, I do. I think it's a little bit of a life lesson. You know, if you got a problem, sometimes you just sort it out and then you realize it was never that big of a deal in the first place. And Let's talk about okay. it. That's all, that's all it takes. Let's just talk about it. And to be fair, you know, a couple I probably could have included a little more context, especially I would say regarding the Upton trade in, in my story. I also don't think my story was, um, um, misinformation or anything to that level and it, it certainly wasn't intended as a cheap shot of the organization it was a, a assessment of the trades and i felt like i tried to include a lot of context again i see why you know in certain situations they might want even more known because it look difficult situations if i were the gm tasked with trading especially the guy you know verlander or jd martinez or nick castellanos I don't know that I would have came away with better returns because it's, it's they, they they were just difficult situations without any doubt. And I don't know. I just AJ Hinch is a listener of this podcast, as we joke, and I feel like AJ could have just told him, "It's like, hey, you know, this podcast. He's on a podcast that is, you know, rather fair to Al. <laughs> he's rather fair. I, I I would say we're pretty dang fair to Al. I th- I think they know we're fair. I think they know we're I, fair. I, for I, that's sure. one of our so. staples is that we you know we don't ride that emotional way. We try to contextualize information all the time. That's what we do. And speaking yeah. of that, the Tigers did make a trade on deadline day. Uh, something that the that Colonel was kind of planted before the season when we started talking about Daniel Norris. We all knew that you know he had a contract that was coming up and. Uh, you probably would be good to get something in return from from him and he had been aj hinch is such a cunning you know 12 letter cuss word man <laughs> like he they start throwing norris out there a little bit more and i'm like okay it's like back-to-back days i'm like okay and and then sure enough he gets traded to milwaukee for a prospect pitcher reese olsen uh just initial thoughts on the trade before we kind of go a little bit uh further in yeah, the last two trade deadlines for the Tigers have not been flashy, but I think this move is kind of the pitching version of what we saw last year when they traded Cameron Mabin for Zach Short. Mabin was on an expiring one-year deal. He had been hurt. He hadn't really been productive. They were still somehow able to move him for a guy who can contribute a little bit. Zach Short, maybe not the greatest player in the history of the world, but guy who's made a good impression in his his year in the Tigers organization, probably a little better than than we might have first thought. I thought that was a nice, safe, practical deal. Same thing here with Norris. I think we all know they they wanted to move Norris. I think Norris knew coming into this season there was a good chance he could be moved. Unfortunately, by the time the trade deadline rolls around, his value wasn't very high. He was not a starter. He had a high ERA coming out of the bullpen. Um, I think there have always been other teams that have liked Norris and his changeup and his slider and thought, you know, maybe we could fix this guy a little bit. And the Brewers traded away some bullpen pieces as they were stocking up their team. They needed to get some bullpen pieces back. Tigers, I do. I think they did a nice sales job showcasing Norris a little bit. He's been really good since the All-Star break, five scoreless outings. And you get Reese Olsen, who, again, 
not a franchise altering prospect, but honestly, I would think a little better than I might have expected. I kind of would have expected, look, if you're going to trade Norris, I don't know what you're getting at this point. You might get some double A relief pitcher who has a pretty low ceiling. Reese Olsen, I don't know what he's going to become, but I know, you know, he's a 13th round draft pick out of high school. Um, a guy whose ERA in the minors is in the fours, but talking to some people um, on the Brewers side of things, they think this guy's really made some good strides um, since the COVID shutdown. He's really reworked his body, added like 20 pounds of muscle, uh, re really revamped his delivery. Um, it's shown in the numbers a little bit. His walk rates are down. He was averaging 10.3 um, strikeouts uh, per nine innings this year. He was kind of viewed as a rising breakout type guy in the Brewers system. I don't know exactly what his MLB ceiling is. Maybe he still ends up being converted to a reliever at some point. But I think he's an upside guy. He immediately uh, was slotted in as the Tigers' number 13 prospect. And I think for Daniel Norris on an expiring deal, that's a, a pretty fair return. And maybe even a tad better than I might have guessed. We're actually recording this on his birthday. He just turned 22. Liter liter literally just turned 22. That's true. That's uh, true. Just read some stuff from the Pipeline page just because it's basic information for uh, for those that you know are not familiar. They gave 55-grade fastball, 50-grade curveball, 45-grade control, 55-slider, 55-changeup, 45-overall. Again, this is probably somewhat outdated if he started to kind of you know get into his own a little bit. Uh, talented guy, like you said, 13th round pick out of high school. They had to give him a little bit of money to convince him not to go to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, you know, obviously a fine program. And, uh, you know, just kind of skimming his profile. There is one thing that really, and again, it's probably old information, but this this line when they're giving a little scouting report just had me rolling, dude. The biggest drawbacks are his delivery and lack of average control. That <laughs> phrasing, his delivery, and lack of average control. I don't like Jared Goff as a quarterback because he has a weak arm and he's inaccurate with the with the ball. Like, that's it's not the most ringing of endorsements. Again, that's probably outdated information, but that line had me rolling, dude. Yeah, I, I think we've seen some good, really good pro scouting by the Tigers recently, like with Akil Badu, of course, with a couple of other guys in the system. And I think Reese Olsen might be an example of that. I think the Tigers had some eyes on this guy and maybe saw him improving, whereas even if some of the scouting reports still read, well, he has a bad delivery. Supposedly, he's really smoothed out the delivery. We'll see if that's true. But it seems like the Tigers had some scouts who liked this guy, identified him as maybe a little bit of an under-the-radar riser, and they end up acquiring him. Not bad. Also, can you imagine getting traded to another organization on your 22nd birthday? What were you doing on your 22nd birthday, Kieran? Uh, I didn't have people on a podcast talking about my lack of basic ability at the profession of which I chose. I could tell you that. No one was <laughs> criticizing my... Uh, my my if my there was skills. a podcast criticizing your uh your your pitching ability i mean it probably could have been the same like lacks velocity <laughs> like poor command same for me so unfortunately no one was talking about us on our 22nd birthdays when we were probably consuming beverages at, at jr murphy's and, and you know the the Badu thing and we're not you know we don't have to draw like a lot of parallels there but you know same age also a high school guy like there's there's yeah. some merit to maybe getting some players who 
have maybe underperformed or have kind of gotten lost in the system and getting them in your program. And again, this is also somewhat of a Fetter thing. Like, if Fetter can get a plan for this guy, what's to say he can't be, you know, somewhat of an asset? We're not gonna, we're not trying to oversell anything here, but maybe he could be an asset. And it's a fine enough, you know, gamble's not really the right word, but like, it's a fine enough shot in the dark, uh, in my opinion, given that, you know, Norris was just gonna leave and there wasn't gonna be literally anything in return. Like, so I, I thought this was a, this was, this was a good job by Al, I thought. I thought it was a fine enough job. And and yeah. he did this while working the phones or the you know, getting calls or whatever. There was a report on Twitter. You didn't see it because you weren't on Twitter. There was a report on Twitter. Oh, I saw it. I was I was searching through it, not even having an account. I still saw Always it. He's locked in. Uh what Michael Fulmer was getting some interest. I thought the majority of Tiger's Twitter found that uh curious, not uh, it, it wasn't something that had gotten a lot of heat. Not that it wasn't there, but it hadn't gotten a lot of heat and, uh, and traction that the, the thought of trading Fulmer, especially, well, I would say after his injury. Uh, so that, that obviously not, did not materialize, and neither did any Jonathan Scope deal. So one of the things that I believe is that there's a, there are certain events that an organization kind of shows you their cards. Uh, one of them would be the draft free agent signings like what kind of team are you trying to build what direction are you going you know salary wise you know who do you let go who do you bring in another one would be the trade deadline day because in a way the deadline went as more or less we were told for a couple months now whereas hey look we're not in tear down mode we are, you know, trying to build this thing. We feel like we're going in the right direction. We're not just going to give away guys for the sake of giving away guys. And I imagine they got numerous offers for Scope and Fulmer and, you know, maybe Candelario. I'm not reporting anything. I'm just saying the natural way it goes, you would get offers. And they obviously were not good enough because no trade was made. So they didn't feel the need just to get rid of Scope. They didn't want to do the Norris thing with Scope. You know, they didn't want to do the Norris thing with Fulmer. So they felt good enough about keeping them intact going forward, which means they're still trying to be competitive, you know, this season. And number two, they believe it's in the best interest to keep these guys around for however long that is, whether it's just until September or whether there's some, you know, in the case of Scope, or whether there's something contractual that they can they can get done. They like Scope. Scope appears to like it in Detroit. They didn't feel the need just to kind of give them away. They kept the locker room largely intact. So I what I gathered from the trade deadline was they're comfortable where they're at and they're comfortable where they're going. Because I think anything else doing the Cubs thing would obviously signal like, oh, we're in for another six years of just abysmal baseball. But they, they like their direction. They like the road they're on. And they just didn't feel the need to shake things up, even if that means Jonathan Scope potentially leaving in free agency for nothing. Yeah, I, a few notes on all those fronts. I had been wondering for a while, maybe I was reading too much into it, but Michael Fulmer, you know, when he was recovering from his injury, anytime A.J. Hinch got asked about Fulmer, I felt as though he was giving like incredibly detailed responses about like where Fulmer was at in his throwing program or saying really trying to make it clear that he was healthy and on the right path. And that's not saying the Tigers were trying to get rid of Fulmer, 
But Fulmer was clearly a tradable asset who I think might have been traded had he not been hurt. I think he was devalued just enough. But they happened, notice they get him back right in time for the trade deadline. He pitches the ninth inning of a game that was not a safe situation, and he had a great ninth inning. Um, he'd been showing really good velocity. His slider was pretty filthy. Interest in him was there a little bit, and it really picked up after his Thursday night outing. All of a sudden, the Tigers were getting a lot of calls about Fulmer. Um, I think it came down to the Tigers really did value the guys they had under team control. Fulmer still under team control for two more years. You look at it, and clearly they just didn't get quite the offer they might have been hoping for. Um, scope was really interesting. It seemed like there just wasn't much of a market at all. There weren't really a lot of reports regarding scope that came out. I certainly did not hear, um, much, if any concrete information. I get the sense, and that's kind of what Al said, even on the record that, look, there were so many star players moved. There was Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez and, the entire Chicago Cubs roster in addition to <laughs> Joey Gallo and, and all these other players. And I think the market just never really trickled down to Jonathan Scope's tier. Um, the, the one place, you know, the White Sox got Cesar Hernandez to fill their second base void rather than Scope. I think the White Sox did have some interest in Scope, but it just didn't happen. Um, and I, I think the market just wasn't quite there. I do know the Tigers did like Scope. I've asked AJ and Al about it, and I've talked to Scope a couple times recently, because I just think it's a really fascinating situation. Although he's not the tier of player that J.D. Martinez or Nick Castellanos was, we've seen sometimes these guys on expiring deals who are productive players. It's almost like a no-win situation for the organization, because do you trade him for what you know probably isn't very good return or do you just keep them and how much value is there in winning a couple more games in the second half or having a positive clubhouse guy who's a veteran there there is some value in that you can't really quantify it but there's some value there now you'd like to say if you're not going to trade them well you better extend them well as we've talked about on this podcast I, I, there's interest the Tigers are going to explore extending him, but it's not going to be easy to do, especially if he wants multiple years, especially Scott Boris, his agent, likes to test the free agent market. Um, the qualifying offer is like $18 million. You could get a draft pick in, in uh, return if he declines that, but I don't think I would offer Jonathan Scope the qualifying offer because $18 million is what he could make in two or three years on the open market. Like That's a ton of money. Uh, I don't want to be paying scope that a qualifying offer salary if he were to accept it when I'm also trying to get a shortstop, among other things. So I think that's an interesting discussion. There were there was a lot more that happened behind the scenes that we're not fully privy to, but I think the Tigers were looking at other farm systems. We're thinking, is there a way we can acquire a young shortstop? It wasn't going to happen. Uh, I think there are a lot more talks and, and conversations behind the scenes that ever really come to light. At the end of the day, the trade deadline was pretty much what I've been expecting for a couple of months. Pretty quiet because the Tigers had some good players, didn't quite have situations where they had to deal guys, as Alice talked about at length, and also the guys they could have dealt. Just You weren't quite going to get a return to make it worth it. You also had Boyd and Turnbull, who might have been two very tradable assets on the IL, so that wasn't going to happen 
either. So I think I think that's just kind of a little insight into some of the various factors the Tigers were juggling. I think at the end of the day, you only make one move. You keep the guys you like. The move you made was pretty safe, pretty low risk. Um, again, you're not necessarily a winner at the trade deadline, but I, I don't think you lose anything either. Sometimes the best moves are the ones you don't make, too. We'll, we'll see how things play out in a couple years, but perhaps the Tigers will be very glad they kept Fulmer and Cisnero and and Soto, and now you look at next year's bullpen, and you're like, the Tigers, you add like one more piece, Funkhauser, Jimenez keep pitching well, you're going to have a really good bullpen next year. Yeah, and you know, in regards to the market, I don't know how you get a sense of what the market is with, with the amount of all-stars that were traded, a record number of all-stars were traded, mm-hmm. and you look at like the return for Gallo and you know, the return for Rizzo and, and, and like the Yankees, not to get to like other teams, but like I kind of thought the Yankees like put the Rangers over a barrel with that with that Gallo trade. You didn't get the top prospects and then you have to pay the salary or at least part of the yeah. salary for Gallo and the whole thing for that, you know, relief pitcher that they threw in there. Gallo, who has another year of team control. And he's a very affordable player right now. Like he's not yeah. he's not on the, the massive deal yet. So I, I was floored by that that the rangers and their new gm chris young agreed to that basically getting some prospects that they hope can be average mlb starters it it was it was i don't like that was for gallo like i don't know how how, what like on a it's so hard there's gonna be some articles in three or four years revisiting the texas rangers trade deadline history and and (laughs) (laughs) and there are gonna be meetings in the front office (laughs) yes i think so (laughs) and so so yeah, it it was just it was a it was a hard one to gauge. There are so many big names coming up. The whole trickle thing that you said is very good. And to be like on a scale on the mistake scale of not trading Jonathan Scope, one being not even close to a mistake, and ten being the Rockies not trading Trevor Story. I mean we're. <laughs> We're we're probably two or three on that, like, and that might be yeah. generous. Like, I, like we're not. It, 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 I don't think mistake is the word at all. I think it's interesting. It'll be unfortunate if he walks and you get nothing in return. But like, is anyone gonna cry about it? Like, it's just like, uh, yeah. I, I think it's it's fine. I, I ideally, you know, you somehow get scope back next year, and if it doesn't happen, that's okay. Again, what were you actually gonna get in return for scope? Clearly not much. If there was an offer that, that they, the Tigers saw as viable at all, you know, maybe they would have done it. Um, clearly, they, they didn't want to trade this guy for, again, some double-A reliever with a very low ceiling or, or whatever it might have been. I have no idea what the offers were, but uh, if the offers were good, there would have been more serious interest. It seemed like by the time deadline day rolled around, they weren't even really having many discussions regarding scope. They had kind of been like, okay, there we're just going to keep scope because there's not much of a market and we like them and we're going to be happy with it. And I, I think that's fine. Is there anything worth noting? I assume Al spoke to the media after like, uh, yes. So yes. was there anything worth noting? Cause you know, maybe he's be like, not more relaxed, but like he doesn't have to be as up, up, uptight after the trade deadline as maybe he would be like in the lead up to it because of, you know, leverage and you know things like that. Yeah. I think that, must be interesting for Al to go and have to talk to reporters, you know, what, like an hour after the trade deadline. His adrenaline was still still pumping a little bit. He hadn't had time to loosen the tie and unbutton the top button and, and pour himself, uh, you know, a gin and tonic or anything yet. He was probably still in the thick of things. 
And I think he mostly explained what we talked about, kind of what the market was like and what they were getting in Reese Olsen. And I, I didn't think there was anything too enlightening. He did get asked about a scope extension again. And again, he seemed kind of oddly, seems like he really, you know, reading between the lines, seems like he sure likes the idea of it. You know, he said, I'm not going to commit to anything. I'm not going to promise anything. But I thought he had a little twinkle in his eye when he was talking about it as like, I think the Tigers would like to make it happen. Can you realistically make it happen at the right price? That's another conversation, and that's why he wasn't going to commit. Or he, di he didn't even go into detail on it, but just something about the way he, he phrased it. And he was even a little more open than last time. When he was like, I'm, I, I'm not going to go into it with you guys, but that's a good question. He elaborated a little more and said, hey, these things don't e always easily get done, but we like Jonathan. He's happy here. We'll see where it leads is, is kind of a paraphrase what he said otherwise i think he just kind of explained what the market was like you know made clear they they did try to do some other things but at the end of the day it was kind of what everyone expected including the tigers front office they weren't expecting if anything i think it might have been a busier day than they were expecting given the interest in fulmer some of the other ideas that might have crept up that uh didn't come to fruition but maybe there was more disgust than they might have even thought you know, and it is entirely possible, and this is just me pulling stuff out of thin air. Obviously, I'm not sourcing anything. It's entirely possible that there have been some preliminary discussions, some parameters, like talked about with Boris or whatever, and and you know maybe Al has a good idea, like it's it's feasible, and then uh, to resign Scope, and if Scope does resign or you know signs an extension or whatever. Uh, he'll probably come out and say like, yeah, you know, at the deadline, we had an, a good idea that, that we could make this happen. Sure. And, and that contributed to us like not trading him like that. There is a world where that very is a very real thing. So even, even though it's a finality, uh, for like, you know, the, the trade season, more or less, it's, there's still more out there that could trickle and play out later so you never know you never know the it's going to be very interesting to see how he handles it in the winter time uh and also the timeline for which jonathan scope would or would not sign or whatever because uh i can't remember the first time he signed with the tigers but he was a late signing uh this, this time one, around. one thing that might bode in the tigers favor here scope has played the free agent market three years in a row and he has only gotten one year deals and he has gotten less money each year Kind of feel bad for the guy because he's a pretty good player. He's been productive at all those stops. But for whatever reason, you know, he doesn't walk a lot. Uh, even though he's a good defender, he's, he's kind of a big guy for second base. Maybe that factors in a little bit. You know, his war totals aren't, aren't eye-popping. They're solid. There has not been a great market for scope in the past, even though he's having one of his probably his second best year of his career right now after his all-star year with the Orioles. There also wasn't that good of a market for him at the trade deadline, or he might have been moved. So maybe if you're the Tigers, I think that does give you a little leverage. If you go to Scott Boris and you say, hey, two years, six mil, two years, eight mil, we'll sign it today. Well, as much as Boris likes to play the market, if you look at Jonathan Scope's history, are you, are you really going to get a better offer? I think it could certainly be in um, Scope's best interest to wait it out and see what the market is like in november december but the, it's it's not like the guy hasn't been a free agent before it's not like teams haven't had a chance to acquire him before so if anything bodes well for the tigers it's it's that 
And, you know, Boris works for Scope. So if Scope says, hey, I'd like to stay here, make it happen, and, you know, I don't necessarily want to go through this whole winter not knowing where I'm going to be. Like, again, th- these are things that are entirely possible. It's entirely possible that, that um, those internal discussions, Scope to Boris, Boris to Al, whatever, um, have happened or are happening. Like, we don't know, but, like, a lot, a lot more stuff goes on behind the scenes than people realize. These are yeah, and and we did, you know, ask Jonathan Scope the day before the trade deadline if he had had discussions with the front office about a contract extension. He said, "No, I, I can't worry about that. I'm just going out and playing." Of course, that's probably what most people would say, but I I also think that's probably what you do, especially when you hire Scott Boris as your agent. Say, I'm going to go play baseball, Scott. Like, just you know, get get me a nice paycheck, and and maybe we'll talk about things in November. Uh, if Scott Boris were representing me right now, I'd probably be like, all right, I'm just going to write my stories and, and not even worry if I can get my Twitter account back and like Scott's going to take care of me. That's probably how I would approach and, it. Yeah, make sure he puts in a little bump for the podcast. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not represented by Scott Boris. <laughs> so uh, something else worth noting this week, uh, Miguel Cabrera is coming up on 500 home runs. He had, had two the other night. He's actually on a a good stretch here, Cody. I, the Cabrera conversations always kind of lead to one thing, and that's the age, the contract, the length, you know, all that stuff. But you, you set all that aside. I don't know. I'm I'm happy with what I'm seeing from him. Obviously, the the Miggy part of it is he he's always Miggy, but you know the Tigers put up the uh, the milestone tracker, which my first thought, a little bit of a cynical guy sometimes. My first thought was. Oof, that is going to be awkward when they just have to like take that down <laughs> at the end of the season, and neither milestone has been reached. Uh, but then Miguel Cabrera started hitting a couple home runs, and now it looks like 500 is a real thing this year. I don't, I don't think 3,000 hits is happening, but 500 looks like a real thing, and he has been swinging the bat a lot better after a kind of like the team, kind of like a putrid start to the year, outside of the home oh. run on opening day. First home run in Comerica yeah. Park since that, actually. Yeah, which is crazy to think about. Um, but since June 1st, Miggy's hitting 307, 343 OBP. Now, again, yeah, he's first base DH. He only has six home runs in 44 games. Um, all that considered, you know, given the position and the contract, that's, that's not quite as productive as you would want. But also... You have a guy who's hitting 307 since June 1st and is getting on base and is, is doing some nice things for your team. He is swinging the bat better. He seems more comfortable. You know, I think the knee still bothers him from time to time, but it seems like he's been in pretty good spirits all year. Miguel, you know, we know he's friendly, he's gregarious, he's funny, but he can also be a little bit moody. We haven't seen bad mood Miguel much this year. Um, he talked to reporters. He still doesn't do that super often, but he did that on Friday and he was, um, he was in a very good mood and he was funny, but he also admitted to feeling some pressure. He brought up, uh, Miguel Cabrera brought up Simone Biles, which is not a sentence I ever thought I would say, but he's, but he said, you know, I, I saw something in the Olympics and I understand. He just talked about, Hey, athletes can face a lot of pressure. You're kind of in this public role. Um, I think the pressure of these milestones has weighed on him. I think in a way, seeing those numbers up on the board adds to the pressure, but he also, you know, we got reflective Miguel for a minute. He said, look, I'm, I'm just a kid from Marrakech. Like I never thought this would happen to me. And here he is 
chasing down two of baseball's biggest milestones. He would have to continue hitting at this sort of clip to get 3,000 this year. Um, you know, and if I still think if the power, you know, the 500, I don't know, he could get it by the end of next week or the power could level off and we could be heading toward late September, still not knowing if, you know, he's on like 499 or something. I don't know, but I think the chances are really good. He gets 490, uh, he gets 500 this year. He talked about kind of hoping it happens at home. And I agree. I, I hope that's cool. If he could hit 500 in Comerica Park and get that reception from, the home crowd and everything. Again, like we talk about all the time, Miguel kind of is what he is as a player at this point. You're still going to have some good moments. He's not going to be entirely unproductive for a first base DH making 30 million. Look, that's going to be a sunken cost, but if Miguel's in a good mood and hitting the baseball well and, and getting the fans excited, that's kind of the best you can ask for at this point. And, and we're getting that out of Miguel. And I think Miguel's, I think Miguel's really happy to be winning some baseball games too after a few years. A guy who's played, um, you know, who won a World Series his first year in the big leagues and played on a lot of really good baseball teams after that. I think the past few years losing so much has been hard on him. And I think he's enjoying um, playing some winning baseball right now. Speaking of winning baseball, uh, if it wasn't for the trade deadline and if it wasn't for your Twitter experience, we probably would have been spending a lot of time talking about that Wednesday game as you shake your head because of how how weird and crazy and, you know, quite frankly, dumb it, it was. Uh, the Tigers beat the Twins 17-14. to And before we get to just, like, your reaction as you're watching that, uh, I think... Twitter, sometimes people like think they're really clever and then they tweet something out without realizing that they're not clever and that literally everyone else has made the, uh, the same joke. So the Lions beat... We should all we should all get our Twitter accounts <laughs> compromised and we'd all be better off. The Lions beat the Vikings 17-14 on a Matt Prater field goal. Like some variation of that joke like went like a thousand times. And it's just not like it's, it's not it's funny. Like it's it's like it, it's worthy if like if, like a text be like oh lol. It might be worth the three did the three digits lol. That might be it. I like it's just not that funny. Everyone did it. Thought they were so freaking clever, and they weren't. <laughs> so I, I just got re I got kind of annoyed by that. But anyway. Uh, just a strange game. It happened during the day. So for me, like, I'm at work. I'm listening to the radio. And at a certain point, I'm like, all right, I need to try to, you know, maybe be a little bit more productive. So I turn off the game and, you know, try to, you know, focus on my work. And then, like, I keep getting these notifications and all these runs. These home runs are being hit. I'm like, yo, what the F is going on here? Uh, you watched it, obviously, in its entirety. I made the joke on Twitter. It reminds of the 2016 Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield, Joe Mixon, D. Westbrook versus Patrick Mahomes uh, game, which you've said before was not fun to watch. Did it bring back those memories for you here? Was it just like, like I said, like a just a dumb game that it went down the way it did? Yeah, it was a lot like that where, oh, it seems exciting. Oh, the Twins hit all these home runs. Oh, look how high the score was. Look at all this back and forth. It's actually, and I, I wasn't even at this game in, in person in Minnesota, but 
like being at that Texas Tech Oklahoma game was just miserable because it was like, what's even happening? The game took you know, like four and a half hours. Like, you know, this game took over four hours. It was just long and brutal, and it didn't really even resemble the actual sport by the end of it. Like, Texas Tech Oklahoma was not football as it is intended to be played, in my opinion, and Twins Tigers was not baseball as it is really intended to be played in that, yeah, it did have a football score. Uh, it was it was a mess. I think it was kind of emotionally draining on both sides, especially you're the Tigers, you have this big lead, you think you're kind of coasting, and then you're not, and then you're on edge, and uh, you know, then you then you almost blow it. Oh, but then you score more runs. It was it was a mess of a game. I did not enjoy watching it. Uh, it was it was. I'd say it was like it was like this weird baseball purgatory. One of the last tweets I sent before I got sent into Twitter purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say, did it, uh, did it make you thankful that you? work for the athletic in the sense that you don't have to do like a gamer every game yes uh, because how, you how would you write a gamer off that like how would you well not only that it, it, it when the tigers would have had a lead at you know their first big lead mm, you would have like right, had city. you would have had your story done more or less and then you would yeah you would have had to rewrite the story like three or four times and, uh, like it, AJ, and it probably AJ wouldn't have been Hinch, that good at the yeah. end because, like, how do you compartmentalize no, it, you know? AJ Hinch jokes with the writers sometimes after games. He's like, yeah, I just want to make sure you guys had to do a rewrite, which I, I like that AJ understands the job a little bit, number one. And number two, it's, it is it is funny because rewrites, having worked for a newspaper, having uh, – I think in that Texas Tech-Oklahoma game, I just didn't even – I just was like, I'm not going to hit a word. I'm not going to hit a single letter on my keyboard until this thing ends because I don't know what's going on. So I'm just, I'm not even going to try. Um, and it, it ended so late at night. I think we'd like blown past our print deadlines anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, but yeah, that would have been rewrite city. Luckily I did not have to do that working for the athletic. Instead I wrote about the trade deadline. Yeah, there you go. And you guys still got that uh, 50% off sale going on yeah i believe so so you can subscribe for 50 percent off now i little psa for the listeners out there if you enter in the code turning the corner when you want a deal on the athletic it's not going to get you a discount we have no power <laughs> but it's also not going to cost you more so i'm just saying it's not it doesn't cost you anything you know it doesn't gain you anything doesn't cost you anything <laughs> Just you know, for the record, just just a little PSA for the for the loyal listeners out there. Uh, had a really good story. Throwing a note to the higher ups that you know, turn the corner is a great podcast, and that that you should help Cody get his Twitter account back. Just any support is appreciated. If we have any listeners who know anyone at Twitter, although I think I have some connects, uh, if we have, if if you your cousin happens to work at Twitter, hit me up. I need some help here. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time to do our second AJ Hinch suggestion box of the week. And this one is, I like it a lot better than play Willie Castro at shortstop, which I admit. What a terrible suggestion. Awful. It was, it it had to be said eventually before things got really worse for Willie. Uh, I want to see... Derek Hill bat leadoff sometime. And more, maybe this is part of it, but maybe more specifically, I want to see Akil Badu 
bat in the second spot. I think he could be a pretty valuable two-hole hitter. Oh, that makes sense. And and He's if you, got, so you got to replace yes. him, right? And Derek Hill put Derek Hill in uh put Derek Hill, hey Olive, put Derek Hill in the leadoff spot because customary lineups right now, Akil bats leadoff and then Derek Hill's in the nine hole. Whenever the whenever the lineup turns over, you're more or less in the in the version of Derek Hill leading off and followed by Akil Badu. So there is spot elements to to this suggestion i just think it'd be fun if you're gonna put derrick hill in the two hole like aj inch did earlier this week i don't know what's the harm in putting him in leadoff one of these times and having badu behind him i think it'd be fun number one number two uh talk about speed at the top of the lineup uh this is selfish of me but i just like to see it i think it i think it could make for a fun watch yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, you could argue, well, that's the point of a nine-hole. Like, if you have a good nine-hole hitter, he is the, the second lead-off or whatever, especially if you're in a game and you you start nine-one-two. That works out well, I think, for a guy like Derek Hill, who, you know, his offensive package is probably somewhat limited. Like, I think that is, is legit. But you're also the Tigers. It's not like you have a ton of high on-base percentage guys. I think if Hill keeps swinging the bat, which... Hill's had some really good at bats. Uh, I think you could totally do it. I think he, he and I think Badu has the slugging numbers you would kind of want from a modern two-hole hitter. So I like that. I think especially if Hill keeps hitting the ball well, you could you could do that, and then you go scope after that with with a little bit of punch. That is an interesting idea. Absolutely. My suggestion, I'm going to tie things together. I talked about playing scope at second base as long as you have him. And and then I thought, well, I don't know if that actually makes sense because then what do you do at first? Well, I think there's an easy answer to this question. I think now you know you have Jonathan Scope. I think it's time to start winning some baseball games down the stretch. I think we see some scope at second. Zach Short at short. Jamer Candelario at third. When Isak Paredes returns healthy, you can kind of cycle him in at all three of those positions. At first base, I think it's time to give one last chance to my guy, Renato Nunez. A good signing this offseason on a minor league deal. Just never really got a chance at the major league level. Yeah, I know he's not a great defender. I don't know that the Tigers have a great defensive first baseman. I feel like he can't be that much worse than... There are other options. He's tearing it up in AAA. He's hitting 284, 382 one base percentage, 15 home runs. I still think your best lineup includes Renato Nunez, a guy who's hit 30 home runs at the major league level before. And then you that allows you to play your best defensive second baseman at second base. I think down the stretch, the Tigers should give Renato Nunez one more shot to play first base. And you have open 40-man spots now. You can make it happen. Oh, yeah, that is a good point. And, you know, certain elements here, like what do you have What do you have to gain all that much by having him hit 284 in, in AAA? Like it, if you can use him in the major leagues, which, as you just laid out, could definitely use him. And he didn't really get a real – it's not like he got a long look already. It's not a Jacoby Jones or a Victor Reyes situation where they – kind of started the year out with long looks. Nunez hasn't gotten a long look in the major leagues this year. So why not? I think that's that's a good suggestion. So on the on the Hill and Badu thing that ties into 
the aggressiveness in base running that the Tigers have exhibited that you wrote about on The Athletic that subscribers can read. If you're not a subscriber, you can get the 50% off uh, deal that is going on right now and also can read Cody's live updates as uh, I think companies try to lessen the free content, as you put it at the top of this podcast. Yeah, uh, you yeah. can get the, the live updates on there as well. Uh, as a guy who is analytically driven, are you? do you like this this base running approach, the aggressiveness, the, you know, taking chances and all that stuff? Because there was a long while where we just decided as a baseball community that we're just going to ignore this heavy historically heavy part of the game and i don't know it's, it's kind of nice to see it be brought back in whatever capacity are you enjoying it you know i i really am and i have to admit even though i love analytics and i don't hate modern baseball as much as some people man it's fun to watch some guys run around the field steal some bags i like it it's an element of the game that that um i like to play growing up that you still see in lower levels of baseball all the time. It's it's good to see that back in the big leagues, especially here in Detroit, especially when it suits your roster, when you have guys like Hill and Badu who are quick, or guys like Robbie Grossman's not that quick, but he's got 12 stolen bases because he's been very opportunistic. And as I explained in the story, the Tigers have really meshed speed and data. You can break down the numbers as, as people way smarter than me have. And basically for a stolen base attempt to be worthwhile, to be worth the risk, you need to have about a 75% success rate. And the Tigers are stealing. They've actually been thrown out a couple times since I wrote that story, because that's what I do. I jinx people. Uh, Derek Hill, in fact, got thrown out. Sorry, Derek. I keep jinxing you. Uh, But the Tigers were around 79%. So mathematically, um, it's been a worthwhile gamble for the Tigers. And you look at it's not just, oh, I'm on first, I feel like stealing. You know the pitcher's time to home plate. You know the catcher's pop time. You know how big of a lead you can get. Um, you can anticipate a breaking ball count, and you can choose times and places to steal in which you are more than 75% likely to succeed in stealing that base. I think if you can do that, if the situation's right, you still do have to keep a little bit of an element of surprise in there. You still do have to do... As A.J. Hinch said, these guys aren't robots. You still have to get a good jump. You still have to run. You still have to slide. You still have to execute it. But uh, I think the Tigers have done a great job of it. I think Hinch and the coaching staff have done a great and really interesting job of incorporating old school elements like the stolen base and even the bunt and then kind of still showing that, oh, well, these things can be backed up by the data a little more than... um, you know, anyone who just watched the movie Moneyball and didn't even read the book might think. And not only that, this isn't measurable in any way, but it's a real thing. Uh, The pressure that gets put on the pitchers, the defense, or whatever, it ended up, like I said, it ended up not being a big deal. But last night in the second, first inning or whatever, got runners on the corners, Badu is on first, there's two outs, and Matt Harvey does like three or four, which by the way, talk about a fall from grace, Matt Harvey. Uh, Matt Harvey does uh, three or four in a row pickoff attempts to Badu at first when, again, there's two outs. Like, in, in theory, like, it, you know, not to say it doesn't matter, but it 
there's two outs. Like, all you do, you just focus on the batter or whatever. And, like, I don't think yeah. Badu was going to steal there. I mean, I guess, you know, there's a moment for everything, but that, that would not have been prime stealing time. And, like, it, you know, it gets in the pitcher's head sometimes. You know, it gets in the catcher's head sometimes. It's yeah. a real thing. That's that's another thing AJ Hinch says. They the opposing team has to defend what we don't do as much as what we actually do. You know that's a product of having that culture of pressure, getting in their head. Um, I I don't know if it would even affect positioning a little bit when you're thinking okay the Tigers are likely to try to take an extra base in certain situations. Now it is kind of interesting when you break it down. The Tigers made I think 34 at the time of that story. I think up to a couple more now. 34 outs on the bases, one of the highest totals. I think the third or fourth highest total in the major leagues, despite being really successful at attempted steals. So these outs have come. You know the Tigers made a lot of outs at home plate. They've made some outs at third. They've gotten thrown out being aggressive, trying to take the extra base in other ways, probably a little too much. There's some base running analytics that actually rank the Tigers toward the middle of the pack, despite being very good at the stolen base. But then I wonder, like, how much of that is not measurable? How much of that um, would be lower if the Tigers were not aggressive, if they didn't steal bases, if they didn't occasionally succeed in taking the extra base. I think it's it's probably fair to say, given the numbers, that they've been a little bit over-aggressive on the bases. But again, sometimes there are trade-offs that don't necessarily translate into the numbers as much by, by having that aggressiveness and having that as part of your team identity and having that as something the other team has to worry about. I would not run on Joey Gallo's arm ever again, though. Nope, nope. That's good PSA. Uh a lot of Yankee fans that I talk to, not just quick little side note. A lot of Yankee fans I talk to, including my family in New York, not not thrilled about the trade, but they also hate the strikeouts <laughs> and all that stuff. And I was like, well, it, oh, at least on. you got a lefty in, bat in the lineup. Lefty bat in Yankee and a, Stadium and a Gold Glove outfielder. Crush. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, and and then of course we talked about the return. It's not like you're probably gonna be hurting. Well, I've been meaning to do this for a while. Shout out Kamira Barty, uh, getting the promotion to be first base coach. Uh, Yes. Seems like everybody loves him. And and Ramon Santiago again moved to third base. Shout out those guys for advancing up in the coaching uh, in the coaching tree. So uh, we keep forgetting to do that. Finally, finally did it. <laughs> and, and those guys are important when we're talking about, you know, with the when to go and and identifying and timing out pitchers and catchers and pop time and all that stuff like they play a vital role in that. In addition to obviously telling the guy when to go and when not to go. So, last last thing, uh, Cody. Uh, I'm gonna get a side eye for this. How was Kate Cunningham's first pitch? You know, here's a hot take that you might actually like, Kieran. I think it's good that Cade Cunningham's first pitch was terrible. I don't know that the <laughs> what, the first pick in the NBA draft probably shouldn't be good at pitching. You know, although like, uh, well, Matt Manning was a good basketball. Well, Matt Manning was not going to be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. Like Cade Cunningham's skill set is being a basketball player. I could be wrong, but I would guess he's probably never pitched like in his life. Or if he did, he's probably like nine years old and then like quit because he was an elite basketball player. I think it is a good sign that his skill set did not translate off the mound where he threw like a 30 mile an hour pitch that just sailed out of his hand. Casey Mize, probably almost injured a hamstring having to get out of his crouch <laughs> to catch that wouldn't that have been bad um but the scene of number one pick thrown to number one pick was cool it was good i wish 
I could have been on Twitter because I was going to at K and see <laughs> if we can get an Oklahoma State Alumni Association chapter started here in Metro Detroit. That one's going to have to wait, and it's going to seem random when I when I am able to do it. But um, no, I think it's a good thing that his first pitch was terrible, and at least at least it did hit the glove. He didn't hit anybody. It didn't go viral for being one of the worst ever. It was it was just pretty ugly. But I do give him credit for going to the mound. Yeah, he I went to the mound. He did with Jays you know, on. With Jays on, and he's rocking the Tigers. He's rocking a Mize jersey, I believe, and Mize got a Cunningham jersey. Like I think that's cool. I liked it. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, it's a neat little moment. And like I said, I, that's the first thing I look for on first pitches. Do you stand in front of the mound, or do yeah, or, or do you go on 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 it? Because it's a lot different if you're not, if you're not used to it. So. Shout out Kate Cunningham. We're not going to talk too much. I, I asked a baseball question about Kate Cunningham in order to appease you, being like, "This is a this Ooh, is a baseball okay. podcast." <laughs> so that was that was very purposeful. So any projects you want to plug, uh, Cody, coming up? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Been doing a lot of research. Been doing a lot of research on Miguel Cabrera as he approaches 500. Got to do some more reporting and talk to a couple people, but I think we're going to hopefully have some kind of story that revisits the early days of Miguel Cabrera more than has been done in a long time to just kind of look at how his career has evolved. Uh, Miguel Cabrera had a walk-off home run in his first major league game. His first major league homer was a walk-off home run at age 20 with the Marlins. Pretty incredible. Really set the tone for a lot that was to come. And trying to do some other things, maybe uh, a little more in the Eric Haas story. You know, it's been written before, but kind of revisiting why did this guy never get more of a chance in the big leagues? We've talked about he didn't get a chance. Uh, hoping to dive into why, despite hitting for a lot of power in the minors, and it's translated to the major leagues more than probably a lot of people wouldn't have thought. So still got some work to do there. Still got to get my Twitter account back, but I'm hoping that we'll have some good things coming soon. And by the way, if you know this podcast publishes and Cody is still MIA on the Twitter sphere, oh, I absolutely will be by Monday. Okay, okay. Sure. so what people need to do is they need to follow at Turn Corner Pod, and you know you could be tweet you could be tweeting out from there in addition to your live updates. I mean, that, yeah, that's that's how people could reach you. I mean, I, I, I considered that doing that on the trade deadline. I was like, that's just going to be weird and is going to be confusing to people. And they're going to be like, why is he tweeting from some podcast account? So I just, I almost, I almost sent you my information. It was like, do you just want to <laughs> use my Twitter account? I almost did it. But... Oh, Kieran was just trying to get some followers. I see. I see. <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all, it's, it's all for the team, bro. It's all for the team. It's all, it's all for the team turn the corner brotherhood that's all it is that's all it's about so we are team players here yes we are team players so if you're not a subscriber to the athletic please do there's a lot of great content coming up from cody always and you get everything including nfl starting up and you know a lot of intrigue obviously with the pistons with the number one overall pick and you know, with what the Red Wings and Steve Eisenman are doing. He's got a little bit of the Al Avila treatment in the, in the draft, I noticed. Uh, it was a little surprising. I think Al probably chuckled to himself if he saw, like, how, <laughs> how people were criticizing, like, every fourth-round, fifth-round, sixth-round pick or whatever Steve Eisenman was making because, obviously, Eisenman has more uh, a more loyal following, I would say, than, than Al Avila. But next week, we'll hopefully be able to talk about some normal things and not weird life metaphors with dependence on technology (laughs) 
and we'll get straight back to some regular old Tigers topics. But it was an interesting week, to say the least, and gave us a lot to discuss. So please subscribe, rate, and review Apple, Spotify, Turning the Corner Podcast. Follow on Twitter at TurnCornerPod because, again, that might be where Cody is at. I would say follow him at Cody Stamenhagen, but I don't want to do that. No, I still need fo- – if I ever get access to that account back, like – Still need some followers. Right, so Still follow that account. It's just not being used. Right fo- now. Follow the account, and if he does have to start a new one, then you'll get notice from either like me or you know whatever, and and be like, don't follow this, follow that, and then we'll get you. Yeah, so follow that. So at least you're connected to Cody, even if you have to do another connection a little bit later. And I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. So thank you for listening, everybody, and have a great. Week.